Okay. The name of the Parsha is Toldot. It begins in the 25th chapter, the 19th verse. And here is where we start to take up the story of the family of Yitzhak. We've talked about Avraham. Avraham has passed on in the last Parsha, but actually he did not, chronologically, he did not pass away until actually in this Parsha. But we read about his death, so we can't take the Torah as being in, in a chronological order. We read about the death of Avraham, and then we start reading about events here in Toldot that happened before his death. And so we're going to talk about that. But this is where we take up the the next chapter of the family of Abraham. This is the story of Yitzhak's family. Now these are the descendants of Yitzhak, son of Abraham. Abraham had begotten Yitzhak. <clears throat> the name of the Parsha, Toldot, means descendants. It starts out with the Ele. Toldot Yitzhak bin Abraham. Abraham Koled et Yitzhak. So this is saying Toldot, the name of the Parsha, the word that it means is descendants. It's kind of an interesting term that's used, but it means descendants as in the generations. Generations is Dor or Dorot. Um, Toldot is descendant. Yitzhak was 40 years old when he took Rivka, a daughter of Betuel, the Aramite of Padam Aram, sister of Levan, the Aramite, to be his wife. And Yitzhak entreated God concerning his wife, for she was barren, and God entreated by him, was entreated by him, and Rivka, his wife, conceived. This is a very interesting thing that we see here. Because the rabbis say that what happened was they had been married for 20 years and there were, were no children yet. So they went together. Now get, let's get a picture of this because this is the first time we really see this kind of setting. And it's, and it's given to us by, by Midrash. That they went together to pray together for her to have a child that both of them were together they went to Mount Moriah where Yitzhak had been offered as the sacrifice the binding of Yitzhak had happened on Mount Moriah so when I was thinking about this I thought about the phrase that we use when we talk about when, when the children of Israel have sinned to the point that they can't be forgiven. Abraham, please, it's not going to be heard. Yaakov could plead, it wouldn't be heard. But Yitzhak says to Hashem, look at the ashes, my ashes. So Hashem looks at the ashes of Yitzhak. Now you think, well, that's kind of odd because he didn't actually get burned up. But it is just as though he did. Because the willingness to make this sacrifice, 
that he was actually laid on the altar that we say that that it is invoked the mercy of Hashem is invoked by the ashes of Yitzhak so when we look at Yitzhak and Rivka going to this place this place of the Akedah to pray for their descendants to come down into the world we can see the same thing as a matter of fact we can see this as maybe being the first time that this mercy that the mercy of Hashem is invoked through the ashes of Yitzhak that he please look at the ashes look at my ashes and we're told that they sit beside the throne of Hashem that this is how compelling this is <clears throat> so Yitzhak entreated God and so we can understand how it would be more compelling that it was coming from Yitzhak himself that he was willing to give this the sacrifice of of himself this complete sacrifice of himself in such a way like no one else ever had and so on the merit of this he's pleading for the souls of the nation to start to come down the first generation the descendants to come down and Rivka his wife conceived and the children moved violently against each other within her womb and when this occurred she said why am I thus and she went to inquire of God and God let her know as follows two nations are in your womb and two states they will be divided from one another starting from within you one state shall become mightier than the other and the mighty one shall serve the lesser so when it says that she went and inquired of God she didn't just it's really interesting about this she didn't just go and like gossip or something like this she wanted to take this question her problem this shows us right from the very start a character a characteristic of Rivka what a really sterling character she had but she went to inquire of God but how did she do this and here too we see from the Midrash that she went to a certain person who was um, a leading sage that the the patriarchs of Israel turned to quite often in fact and this sage was none other than Shem the son of Noah and I think this is a very important point that we should not lose that we have to really hold on to that point that Shem was such a pillar of spiritual counsel that the patriarchs turned to him and he was able just like Noah saw all the way all the way into the future all the way in two verses we have the whole history of mankind all the way to Gog and Magog from Noah and here Shem gives her a prophecy two nations that are in your womb and two states now this wasn't just two states this was the two main driving forces of history this was going to be Israel and a dome the two forces that were like twins they're twins yeah and so there's a lot of similarity but yet there's opposite forces 
forces that are going to tear at each other and tear at the world. And it's going to be the driving force of the entire world and the entire world's history. These are going to be the two main driving forces of the world. And Shem prophesied, prophesied this to Rivka. He gave her a piece of information that formed everything that she was going to do. All of her decisions that she was going to make for her children and for her family was formed here. And she got this answer. But what was going on inside of her as she was having the struggle of these two children? They were fighting with each other. And the Midrash says that when she would go by a house of idolatry, she would feel this this like lunging like one of them was trying to just jump right out of her and then when she would go by a house of prayer to Hashem of holiness she would feel a lunging from the other side like the other one was just trying to jump right out of her they were diametrically opposite souls and we can really understand that um, as if we uh, if we believe in the idea of reincarnation is the only way that we can really understand what is said in the Haftorah. In the Haftorah, which is, just a second, um, Okay, in the Haftorah it is Malachi 1, 1 through 2, 7. And right from the very beginning, the prophecy of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I loved you, said the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau uh, Yaakov's brother, says the Lord, and I loved Yaakov, and I hated Esau. I made his mountains desolate and his heritage into a habitat for jackals. Should Edom say we have become impoverished, but we rebuilt the ruins, so says the Lord of hosts, they shall build and I will demolish. They shall call the border of wickedness and the people whom the Lord has damned forever. And it goes on. And you get this idea from this passage that from the very beginning... From the very beginning, Hashem is saying that he loved Yaakov and he hated Esau. Now when we read that, we can think, well, that was only after their lifetime and after they were um, developed, their personalities and their character and all of the things that they did develop. But it's even more than that. That even from the very beginning, there was this, the characters of the soul were already developed and then they had opportunity as we all do when they came into the world to develop in a different way to change to do what we call tikkun to repair the damage in the soul this is the challenge or the person can say no and he becomes worse that's a challenge that all of us have and we can see this with you know when he said I hated Asaph I hated Adom. And so this is the this is what Rivka is being told from the very beginning. There is a prophecy from the very beginning before they're even born of what their characters are going to be like. 
of how they're going to be these opposites and pulling at each other and they're going to be propelling the world in a certain direction of the history of the world and when her days to be delivered were complete lo there were twins in her womb the first came out red cheeked all over like a hairy mantle they named him Asav they named him Asav because it was like Asa you know um, Ose it's like he was done he was made he was complete he was like a little man he was hairy all over and, and he didn't look like a baby he looked like a, uh, like a complete little man and so that's why they called him Asav after that his brother came out and his hand held the heel of Asav and they named him Yaakov and that, that Yaakov comes from Ekev which means heel and so because he was holding on to Asav's heel they called him Yaakov but there's more to this too that this is also part of the prophecy that Asav is, is the one who's done he's finished he's complete or you know as he's going to be and Yaakov in history holds on and he follows on the heels that it's going to be in the end that the the mighty one shall serve the lesser that Asav the, the one who is already made he's complete is going to be the one who serves the lesser the one who comes on his heel and so these babies it's funny to see how first she gets this prophecy and then even in their birth that there there's a symbolism of the prophecy itself that Yaakov is going to follow on the heels of Asaph after that his brother came out and he held the heel of Asaph and they named him Yaakov now Yitzhak was 60 years old when she bore them when the lads grew up Asaph was a man who understood hunting a man of the field and Yaakov was a single minded man living in the tent now this is as they're growing up that they become this and Yaakov Esau was called a man of the, of the field a hunter in the next verse we see a little bit more of this and Esau loved Esau because he was a hunter also with his mouth but Rivka loved Yaakov now Esau was somebody who was a hunter he was very clever at trapping animals but he was also a hunter with his mouth he was very clever at trapping people too that he could maneuver them into the position that he wanted them to be he was a very clever person he was able to maneuver even his father and his father loved him and this was part of now now we can say on one hand that you know, Asav was an evil person and so on and so forth but we can but nobody is totally evil you know there were sparks in Asav and it's, we're going to go through this and I want to because it's not really fair ever and it's not even realistic to paint a person one-sided it's not people are more complex than that and I want us to be able to see that there was some potential of good in Asav I mean after all he is the son of Rivka and, and Yitzav he's the grandson of Abraham so there was potential in Asaph and the rabbis even comment on this at different junctions in his life if something just one little thing had been different 
Asaph would have been different. And all of history would have been different because Asaph would have been different. But because this happened, he didn't he didn't have that chance. And because this happened, he didn't have that chance. And then he goes through his whole life with those those little crucial things not clicking for him, not happening for him, and he becomes this terrible evil character who propels history along this along this course. So we see here that Yitzhak loved Esau. And one of the positive things we're told about Esau is that he honored his father. He loved his father too. I mean, sure, he loved his father because it was advantageous for him. There was opportunity. He was the oldest son. He was going to inherit all of his father's wealth. And so he wanted to be the good son. We could, we could say that. But on the other hand, the rabbis tell us that his honoring of his father had some genuineness to it. It was not a fake. It wasn't phony. And in fact, they say that Asaph honored his father even more so than Yaakov did. Even more so. It's easier for us, though, to honor somebody who loves us and who loved Yaakov, his mother. His mother loved Yaakov because she knew that he was the one who held the promise. This prophecy was given to her, but we're not told that it was given to Yitzhak, and we're not even told that she told him. In fact, we have indication that maybe she didn't, that maybe she just kept this to herself and just held this in her heart that Yaakov was going to be the one who would prevail in the end that Yaakov was the son of promise so Esau was the one who his father loved and Rivka the mother loved Yaakov one day Yaakov cooked a pottage and Esau came in from the field and he was faint now at this point the pottage that Yaakov is cooking is lentils and this is where we get the idea of cooking lentils for a mourner's meal because the, the Midrash says this was when Abraham actually passed from the world and the the meal that Yaakov was preparing these lentils was the mourner's meal for his father Yitzhak and we know from doing the time the timetable the timeline that Yaakov and Yitzhak I mean Yaakov and Esau sorry were 15 years old when Abraham passed away and the rabbis say that the reason that Hashem had Abraham go ahead and pass from the world at this time was so he would be spared seeing Esau's evil character develop. So Abraham was taken out of the world before he could see this. And in fact, that was part of the reason that Yitzhak was blind, was so that he would not see the evil of his son it would break his heart and so Hashem in his mercy had had Yitzhak be blind he was blind in more ways than one and we're going to see that 
So Esau came in from the field and he was faint. The interesting thing about this little in time that he was out in the field was that this was when he had encountered Nimrod in the field. Nimrod had this clothing, this garment that he had inherited from his father Nimrod that had been taken from um, Noah. It was taken from it was the garment of Adam. And Noah had it, and then Ham took it, and he handed it down to Nimrod, and Nimrod had it and handed it to his son, who was also called Nimrod. And then Asaph saw the garment, and that the person wearing it could entice animals to come to him. So this made the person a very beguiling, very successful hunter, and he wanted that garment. So he killed Nimrod and he took that garment. And this was what where where he had been, what he had been doing in the field on the day that his grandfather Abraham died. So he came in and he saw Yaakov cooking this food. And Asab said to Yaakov, Please let me gulp down this red, red pottage, because I am faint. Therefore, they called him Edom, the red one. Edom is red in, in Hebrew. And it was also because he was ruddy. He had red hair. He had a ruddy complexion that he was also called Edom. But also because of this connection with the red pottage that Yaakov was making. And Yaakov said, Please tell me as this day is clear your birthright and you notice that he's saying clear a lot he's making it real clear that you're doing this he invokes this word a lot clear we want this very very clear that you are selling me your birthright that you are giving it up it has to be real clear and Midrash says that that Asav had some of his uh, rowdy pals with him that day and so they were like witnesses to what was going on and Asab replied, Lo, I'm going to die. Of what use then is this birthright to me? Yaakov said, Swear to me, as this day is clear. He's, he invokes that word again. And it's not just talking about the weather here. It's using a word that is, like I said, in connection with the words have to be clear. Your intentions have to be clear. That this is what you're doing I'm not stealing it now. Later he accuses him of theft. But this was not theft. It was a very clear agreement between them. And he swore to him and sold his birthright to Yaakov. And Yaakov gave Esau bread and a pottage of lentils. He ate and drank. He rose and went out. Thus did Esau despise his birthright. Now the sages say that it wasn't just for this food that Esau sold his birthright that Yaakov actually gave him money in exchange for it and the food was merely a um, a meal to seal the deal and so Esau despised his birthright and at that point the court of heaven said okay fine the deal was sealed not just in earth but also 
in heaven and because he despised his birthright he also forfeited the blessing at that point on that day it was decided in heaven that a blessing was not to go to Asaph there was a famine in the land in addition to the first famine that had been in the days of Abraham and Yitzhak went to Avimelech king of the Philistines to Gerer and God appeared to him and said do not go down to Mitzrayim dwell in the land which I shall tell you sojourn in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you for to you and to your seed will I give these lands and I will keep the oath that I swore to Abraham your father now he is not like Abraham and he is not like Yaakov he is in a different category he can never leave the land of Israel because he was bound and put on the altar he is a living sacrifice like we were talking about invoking the ashes well he is a living sacrifice and he can never leave the land of Israel just like we were saying when we talked about the sacrifice of Noah that when he built the altar he took those stones and it was unhewn stones and he piled them up on top of each other that it was essentially a symbol of the of the land itself rising up in the same way as the sacrifice rises up and Allah sacrifice and burnt sacrifice rises up in the smoke the land itself rises up in the altar and so the altar was part of the land and the land of Israel therefore was like together it was connected to the altar on which the, uh, on which Yitzhak had laid so he could never leave the land of Israel he was still the sacrifice on the altar as long as he was in the land of Israel so we look at this and we see that he went to the land of the Philistines and this land was Gaza this brings up an interesting point because Gaza is sometimes considered part of Israel and sometimes it is not this is the only part of Israel that we ever say this about sometimes it is sometimes it's not what makes the difference if Yitzhak is in the land of Israel, uh, land of Gaza it's part of Israel if he is not it is not part of Israel it has this very interesting status and it's a very interesting point for us to note especially considering our current history of what happened last year of the Jews being thrown out of Gaza the status while the Jews lived in Gaza is connected right here to Yitzhak and his presence in Gaza raising the level of holiness of that land to be a part of the land of Israel but when he left Gaza its status fell the same thing as with the Jewish, the Jewish people when the Jews were in Gaza the holiness, the kedusha of that part of the land rose it was part of the land of Israel part of the land of promise and in fact Gaza is part of the territory uh, the territory given to the tribe of Yehuda 
there was a complaint from the from the people of Yehuda. They said, but the people of the the Philistines have iron chariots and it's very difficult. We can't overthrow them. We cannot take that land. But there was more going on there than that. There is a question whether they were even supposed to take that land and why? Because Abraham had made a pact, a covenant with Abimelech. Abimelech had said, don't let your, please make a promise to me that you will not harm me, you will not harm my descendants, your descendants will not harm my descendants. And he agreed at Beersheba when he made the sacrifice of the seven sheep, remember? And so here too, we're going to see this happening again, that Abimelech brings this up, this covenant up to Yitzhak. And that is the reason that all the generations later we have this incident of the tribe of Yehuda unable to overthrow the Philistines, unable to claim that part of the territory that was given to them. And to this very day, we have never been able to actually take that part of the land of Israel and say, this belongs to us. It's always been a question mark. Not only that, it's always been a very difficult part of the land of Israel. It's very interesting that these places that we can see as being difficult places in the Torah were also, I mean, in present day, we see these spots in Israel that are so hard, that have so many very, very difficult things happen, that have characters, people who live there who seem to have such stony hard characters that you just can't quite break through that and you wonder well there are spiritual reasons for it and we find them those spiritual reasons in the stories of the patriarchs they're not just stories they're explanations the Torah is not just a book of stories it's living it's spiritual entity that lives and its garments are the stories and the words and so it gives us hints. It whispers to us about things that happen in our own time. Things that are truths in our own day. Eternal things. And we have to be able to see through the stories. The words of the stories. And to be able to internalize them and say this is a truth. So Hashem is talking to Yitzhak and he tells him to sojourn in this land and that he will bless him. I will bless you for to you and to your seed I will give all these lands and I will keep the oath which I swore to Abraham your father I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and I will give your seed all these lands and through your seed all the nations of the earth shall bless themselves as a consequence of Abraham's having hearkened to my voice and having guarded that which I had placed into his charge my commandments my statutes, my teachings. And so we know that the commandments and the statutes and the teachings that Abraham was given are certainly not the whole Torah. I mean, otherwise we would have to say, then what was the point of Sinai? But it was, there were hints of the Torah. There was elaboration, as we can see, we take the Torah and we, we build, we elaborate, we understand it we unfold it 
and we understand the whys and wherefores and so on as we unfold it. The same thing with Abraham. He was given the seven laws of Noah by Noah and Shem. He was he learned these things, these were the statutes, and he understood the depth. And he was able to see inside and he was able to unfold it. And this was the commandments and the statutes and the teachings. Was were these seven fundamental points that weren't just laws to themselves, but were like headings of laws. And this was what was given to Abraham. And he was blessed because he took those and he, and he taught them to the people that he met. And this was what Hashem is saying now to Yitzhak, that he blessed Abraham because he guarded these very precious things. Thereupon, Yitzhak remained in Gerar. The people of the place asked him about his wife, but he said, she is my sister because he was afraid to say my wife for the people of the place could kill me because of Rivka for she is good to look upon it's interesting that he does the same thing Abraham did but interesting too is that Avimelech remembered but it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Avimelech king of the, of the Philistines looked out of a window and saw Yitzhak enjoying himself with Rivka, his wife. And Avimelech called Yitzhak and said, So, she is your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? And Yitzhak replied, Because I thought that I might die on her account. And Avimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of our the people could easily have cohabited with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. In other words, he himself was thinking, but Shem prevented it. Therefore, Avimelech commanded all the people as follows, Whoever touches this man and his wife shall be put to death. And Isaac sowed in the land, and in that year he reached one hundred markets, and God blessed him. Now remember, this is during a famine. And Yitzhak is given fields and he sows in this land and his produce is so rich that he is able to reach the, the gates of cities. 100 markets. Now, this is another point. When we, the Jewish people were living in Gaza, Gush Katif was one of the most flourishing farming areas in all of Israel. You would see Gush Katif, lettuce, and Gush Katif, strawberries, and Gush Katif, all these different vegetables that were grown in the greenhouses of Gush Katif. Beautiful, wonderful produce. Things that were exported to Europe and, you know, America. Just lovely, lovely produce. It, it was a farmland. And so here's Yitzhak, the first one, who is farming this very same area. And when the man became great and grew more and more in greatness until he became exceedingly great and he had possessions of sheep and of possessions of cattle and much farmland, the Philistines became envious of him. All the wells which his servants of his fathers had dug in the days of his father Abraham, the Philistines had stopped them up and filled them with earth. And Avimelech said to Yitzhak, Go away from us, because you have become much too mighty for us. So here he is, sending him away, and his people 
have stopped up these wells. So you wonder, this is a covenant of peace together? He's made a covenant of peace, but it's, is it only supposed to be on one side? Interesting. Isaac went away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerer and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham, and which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. And he called them by the names which his father had given them. And the servants of Isaac dug in the valley and found there well of living waters. And the herdsmen of Gerer quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, the water is ours. Therefore he called the well Essek, contention, because they made a claim against this title to the well. They dug another well, but quarreled about that, and so he named it Sitna, obstruction. And it can also be hatred. Well, Sina is hatred. He moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over this one, so he named it Rehovot, spaciousness, for now God has made room for us. Now we can be fruitful in the land. And he moved up from there to Beersheba. Now it's interesting, stop, we'll stop right here for a moment. When we look at these wells, there, yes, it was physical wells, but we see something else here. Because water is also a representative uh, symbol of Torah the first well was called living waters which is definitely Torah and the police team the Philistines rather coming in and putting dirt in there trying to stop up the well they were trying to stop the flow of living waters they were trying to stop the flow of Torah now the main ones that we see they're given names and we see three of them and so the rabbis um, compare these three to the three temples the first temple which was destroyed over contention and then the second temple was destroyed or with obstruction or hatred against each other and then the third temple will be called Rehovot because it's spaciousness you know how we were talking about the names of Hashem and the name Yah is, is connected to this idea of spaciousness that Hashem puts our feet in this broad space and this is the idea of the third temple that there is an idea of spaciousness and so he calls the name of that well Rehovot because now the water is going to flow now I've been talking a little bit about how what happened last year what happened with the um, the pullout from Gaza but during the time when um, Yitzhak, uh, when Yasser Arafat died, the week he died, and they were they were fighting over, they wanted to bury him on of all places the Temple Mount. This was the reading. This was the this was the Torah parsha, and they wanted to bury him on the Temple Mount. And I said, this is just like this. The enemies, the police, team coming and saying they want to stop the flow of Torah. They want to stop the flow of the living waters any way they can. And but at the very end, what do we have? We have Rehovo. In fact, a little aside here, they didn't actually bury Yasser Arafat. They've got him stuck someplace in a mausoleum 
for the hope that someday they can bury him on the Temple Mount, God forbid. So, I mean, the Temple Mount is not meant to be a cemetery. I mean, we have the Kohanim who, to do the services of the Temple, are not supposed to ever be exposed to the dead. They can't go inside a cemetery at all. And so, yeah, Faisal Husseini was buried there. But that's going to have to be changed because there's, you know, when we have a temple, the temple mount cannot have um, graves on it. it. It just can't. It's not like a church cemetery. It just, it's totally different. Cannot have the dead exposed there to the temple. So it's interesting how there's this spiritual idea that still exists among enemies of Israel. And interestingly, that they call themselves Philistines just like this. And they also wanted to stop up the wells. Well, kind of. But that's not exactly true. I mean, that's not a, that's not a real truth. Because the, the Arabs do have um, fields. They do have vegetables that grow for them. They do have olive groves. So it's not really true. I don't know why people make statements like that. But they also have a lot of help from the Jews. So, and the interesting thing is that Israel was a totally desolate land, completely desolate, until the Jews came back to it. So in that vein, the Arabs can grow things now because the Jews live here. So that, on that note, it could be true. So after this whole thing with the with the wells. Yitzhak moved to Beersheba. God appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Fear not, because I am with you and I will bless you and multiply your seed for the sake of my servant Abraham. And he built an altar there and proclaimed in the name of God and pitched his tent there. And Yitzhak's servants dug a well there. And this was the final. This was the final well. So there were actually five wells, and there, here you really get an idea of the Torah, because there were actually five wells. The first one was the living water. Then the second one was Essek. The third one was Sitna. The fourth one was Rehovo. And then the fifth one is this well that he digs here after he builds the altar to Hashem. But Avimelech had traveled to him from Gerer and all his companions, and Fikal, his commander, and Yitzhak said to him, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hated me and sent me away from you? See, they had made a promise to Abraham, but they weren't really keeping that promise, and it's interesting what he says, how he considers um, being peaceful. They replied, we have seen repeatedly that God was with you. And so we said, Let there now be an oath between us and between us and you. And let us make a covenant with you, so that you do us no hurt, even as we have not touched you, and even as we have done you no, no, nothing but good, and sent you away in peace. After all, you are one blessed by God. So Avimelech says, Uh-oh. We sent him away, and now, all of a sudden, our crops aren't growing. And here's your point, Alan and Eileen. Our crops aren't growing. It sucks less. We're not being blessed anymore because he's gone. And, But it's so 
hypocritical that they said, well, we sent you away in peace. They said, get out of here. We don't want you around. They were jealous of his wealth. They were jealous of his prosperity. But yet, here they're saying, oh, well, we, we sent you away in peace. We never did any harm to you. We only did good for you. Never mind that we fill up your wells with dirt. But we didn't hurt you at all. It's interesting how they kind of rewrite history here. And as we read this, we're kind of going, oh my goodness, it is like nothing under the sun changes, right? He prepared a feast for them, and they ate and drank. They arose early in the morning and swore one to the other, and Yitzhak sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. So Yitzhak says, okay, fine, we'll make a covenant again. And he keeps his word even though these guys aren't keeping their word. They're not keeping their side of the covenant. They want a covenant with him because they're going to benefit from it. And he keeps his word. But like I said, after the people come into the land, the tribes, this is going to be a problem because these covenants that are made by Abraham and Isaac cannot be broken by their descendants. So the Plishtim, the Philistines, Plishtim is Hebrew for Philistines. They're safe because they've made this covenant with Israel. Their lands are safe. And unless they attack Israel, they're safe from Israel. Israel's not going to do anything to them. Later, of course, we see during the time of Saul during, um, and um, other times, they attack. During the time of King David, the Philistines are the main enemy. But that's only Israel defending itself. And this is very interesting how we can think about the peace process now. And Israel does not attack them. We made a covenant. We made a bargain. We made a, a peace treaty with you. So we're not going to attack you. And in fact, we even take over and over and over terrorism, incursions, this, that, and the other, and do nothing, and do nothing, and do nothing until we finally say enough is enough but we can kind of see the same kind of behavior laid out here in the Torah that we see playing out in our own time this this relationship between Israel and the Philistine. so they left him in peace and that same day Isaac's servants came to him and told him about the well which they had dug and said, We have found water. And he named it Shiva. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. 7. When Esau was 40 years old, he took to wife Yudit, the daughter of Bereri, the Hittite, and Basmat, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a spiritual defiance to Yitzhak and Rivka. Yitzhak had, Abraham had insisted that Yitzhak not marry one of the daughters of his friends, Mamre, um, Anar, and Eshkol. His friends that he could trust, and they have righteous daughters. He did not want them their daughters to be married to his son but yet here is 
Asaph, who is not careful about this, and he goes and he takes these daughters of the Hittites. And these girls brought idolatry into the tent of Isaac and Rivka. And so they were a defiance to Isaac and Rivka. They were total defiance to the very spirit of the Abrahamite covenant that was coming into the world. These were daughters from a nation that were under a curse because they were the daughters of the Canaanites. And so this was what Asaph, you know, had going on inside of him. And he didn't really, he was so insensitive to this, he didn't even seem to notice. It came to pass that when Asaph became old, and his eyes were too dim for seeing, he called his eldest son Asaph and said to him, My son. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lo, now I am after all old. I do not know the day of my death. And now please take your implements, your dagger and your bow, and go into the field and hunt some venison for me, and prepare for me a tasty dish, such as I love, and bring it to me, so that I may eat it and my soul may bless you before I die. But Rizka listened when Yitzhak spoke to his son Esau, and Esau went into the field to hunt venison in order to bring it home. And Rizka had spoken to Yaakov, her son, as follows. Lo, I have heard your father speak to your brother Esau as follows. Please bring, me, bring home for me some venison and prepare for me a tasty dish that I may eat so I may bless you before God before I die and now my son hearken to my voice regarding what I command you please go fetch go to the flock and fetch fetch me from there two good kids of goats so that I may make them a tasty dish for your father as he loves it and then you will bring it to your father that he may eat that he may bless you before his death and Yaakov said to his mother, Rivka, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and will seem in his eyes like an impostor, and I will bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Upon me be your curse, my son. Only obey my voice, and go and fetch them for me. And he went, and took, and brought to his mother. His mother prepared a tasty dish such as his father loved. And Rivka took the costly garments of Asaph, her eldest son, which were in her, with her in her house, and she put them on Yaakov, her younger son. Before that she had put the skins of kids of goats upon his hands and upon the smoothness of his neck. And then she gave the tasty dish and bread, which she prepared into the hand of Yaakov, her son. Now, this is when we look at it on the surface we think well that is kind of wild that she would think we can't take it as it is on the surface we just we can't I mean there's too much about it that is very very troubling because once Asaph would walk through that door again. You know, Asaph's only going to be gone for a little while. And once he walks back through that door, 
Itzav and Esav are going to know what has happened. And so it can't be that she thinks that this is a way to get the blessing. That can't be it. That can't be it at all. Now there's a few things here that we need to look at. Rivka knows that the blessing is supposed to come to Yaakov. She knows this because of the prophecy that was given to her when she was pregnant before they were born. She knows this. But obviously she has not been able to talk to Yaakov about it. And he's laboring under this deception of his son Esau. And Esau was very, very good at deceiving his father. He gave him great honor. He, he would dress dress up to come into his presence. He always gave him great honor. We're told that no son ever honored his father as much as Esau did. And this was to his merit that is said. And so Yitzhak was one of those who was hooked in like trapped by the mouth of Esau. Rivka saw it. She saw through it. She saw the antics of her own brother Lavan in Esau. She saw his trickiness. She saw his deceptiveness. She saw his guile. And so she understood Esau in a way that Yitzhak really couldn't. She understood his underhandedness. She understood what he was doing. But she couldn't say it to Yitzhak. She could not say this. And you can just see that in her mind she's thinking all of these things and she holds these things in her heart but she does not verbalize these things. And we can think, well one reason that she wouldn't verbalize these things is because she does not want to cause a rift in her family. She does not want to cause a rift by complaining about Esau. So she keeps it to herself. And she hopes, all these years, she hopes that Yitzhak is going to see Esau for what he is. So he's going to see what she sees. But then she realizes the time has come for the blessing to be given. And Yitzhak has not seen Esau for what he is. And she knows because of the prophecy. And she knows because of what she sees in Esau and what she sees in Yaakov. She knows the covenant of Abraham. The mission, the destiny of the family is very, very important. That it has to go forward in a pure way. And she knows that Esau is not the one to be able to do it. Even if she knew nothing at all about the sale of the birthright, even if she was totally ignorant of that, she knows that this blessing is not rightfully Esau's. However, Itzak has something else in mind. He thinks both of his sons are notorious and righteous. He thinks both of them are going to together, jointly, walk in walk through history. They're going to both bring down the covenant of Abraham into the world and they're going to work together. This is in Yitzhak's mind. This is what he's thinking. And so he thinks Esau is a strong one. He's, he's worthy. He has the merit for this. This is 
what he's thinking. And Rivka realizes he's being deceived. And so what does she do in order to play out, in order to demonstrate in a real way, instead of just saying it, she decides that she's going to do a demonstration through like a play. She's going to have Yaakov play a part. Play a part of a deceiver in order to bring to light that Yitzhak has been deceived by the master deceiver. And so that's what's going through Rivka's mind here. So she dresses Yaakov up and it's interesting to note that Rivka had this garment of Aesop, this prized garment that was Adam's garment. Aesop is a married man, but yet he doesn't trust this garment to his wives. He gives it to his mother because he sees that his mother is an honest, trustworthy woman. And so then you're saying, yes, but she's just, she is devising this deception of her husband, so how can she be trustworthy and, and honest? Even that is a mark of her trustworthiness because she is guarding truth in a way that she feels is necessary in a way that she thinks it's going to get the point across better than words she is guarding a truth of heaven she is guarding this covenant she's guarding a righteousness so Yaakov is dressed in this garment of Adam that Yitzhak, that Asaph had taken from Nimrod Yaakov walked through the door with this prepared dish that Rivka had made. So he came to his father, we're on verse 18, and said, My father, and he replied, Here I am, who are you, my son? And Yaakov said to his father, I, Esau, your firstborn, have done as you told me. Please arise sit and please eat of the venison so that your soul may bless me now he's speaking in a way that is not the way Esau speaks and Yitzhak said to his son how is it you found it so quickly my son he said because God your God caused it to happen before me and Yitzhak said to Yaakov please come closer so that I may feel you my son whether you are really my son Asaph or not Yaakov went to his father Yitzhak and the latter felt him and said the voice is the voice of Yaakov and the hands are the hands of Asaph the voice is the voice of Yaakov saying please being gentle invoking the name of Hashem in everything that he says the voice is the voice of Asa, of Yaakov. But the hands, he feels the fur. And he says, the hands are of Asa. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like the hands of his brother Asa. And so he blessed him. He said, it is indeed you, my son, Asa. He said, I am. He said, please bring it closer to me so I may eat of my son's venison. So my soul may bless you. He brought it closer and he ate. He brought him wine. He drank. 
so he could smell Gan Eden from the garments of Adam Yitzhak is laying in the bed and he can smell the smells of Gan Eden he tastes the food and he it's all the most delicious tastes that are coming you know coming to him from the hands of Yaakov because he's and he's hearing the word of a man who speaks Torah and his father Yitzhak said to him come closer and kiss me my son and he came closer to him and he smelled the smell of his clothes he smelled the smell of gone Aden and blessed him and said lo the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which God has blessed so may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fat places of the soil and abundance of corn and new wine peoples will serve you and nations bow down to you but you become a man also to your brothers so that the sons of your mother may bow down to you then he who curses you will be cursed and he who blesses you will be blessed so he gives him this blessing he had in mind that he was going to give Esau the blessing like this he was going to bless him invoking Hashem's name with a material blessing and he had reserved in his mind that a spiritual blessing because he was going to split it the spiritual blessing was going to be for Yaakov and we can see it later we'll see that in a minute and it came to pass when Yitzhak had finished blessing Yaakov and Yaakov had just gone out from the presence of his father that his brother Esau came in from his hunting now here we see that not only Rivka and Yaakov are involved in this whole um, play this whole drama in order to bring Yitzhak to truth but we also see the hand of Hashem here because Esau has been delayed just until Yaakov can finish and get out the blessing was given to Yaakov when Aesop despises birthright remember that so heaven said the blessing belongs to Yaakov too so Aesop came in the door and he too prepared a tasty dish and brought it to his father he said let my father rise and eat of his son's venison that his soul may bless me and his father Aesop said to him who are you and he said I am your son your firstborn Esau and great terror seized Yitzhak and he said who then is the one who has already hunted venison and brought it to me and I also ate of everything before you came and I blessed him he too shall be blessed now if he was just looking at the written Torah here if he was this devious person that did something terrible then he couldn't have said that he will be blessed because it just won't work like that but when he saw when Asaph came in and he heard this we read here he, he was seized with a great trembling great terror seized him and we're told just as when Yaakov was there there was a smell of Gan Eden he smelled the field that God had blessed which is Gan Eden when Esau walks through the door 
Yitzhak smells Gehenim. And he's seized with a terror that he has made a terrible mistake all these years. And who is going to be punished for it? Is it going to be himself? That he almost gave the covenant, almost gave the blessing, almost gave everything to someone who was not worthy and who would actually bring an end to it rather than taking it forward. So he sees with this trembling when he realizes the truth. He realizes how close he came to doing something horrible. He realizes how much he was deceived. So the whole point of what Rivka did worked. Not in that Yaakov got the blessing only, but that Yitzhak's eyes were opened. Yitzhak was able to see as in understanding the truth the truth of Asaph no matter how much he loved him and he did love him and he didn't stop loving him Rivka loved him too but she could see the truth and see this is what I was talking about last week when I was talking about the balance between truth and compassion Rivka is a wonderful example of someone who saw truth and she was able to balance it with compassion. When Asaph heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceedingly loud and bitter cry, and then said to his father, Bless me also, my father. Now when he cried, the, the Midrash says he cried three tears. One went to the left, one to the right, and one that did not actually come forth with a bitter cry. So we're told that there is justice in the world. And Yaakov paid for that cry from Esau. Yaakov paid for that because in the book of Esther we're told Mordechai cried a bitter cry. And what was that? Because the, the descendant of Esau was planning the annihilation of the Jewish people. And Mordecai cried a bitter cry, and it was that payback, it was that Mida Keneged Mida for making Asaph cry, a bitter cry. No matter how justified the action was, there was still that Mida Keneged Mida that because Asaph had been caused to cry, Yaakov or one of his descendants would be caused to cry by a descendant of Asaph. And we see that happen in the book of Esther when he had cried this bitter cry and he said bless me also my father now what was what was it that Yitzhak had left what he had left was the blessing that he had intended for for Yaakov but it was not applicable to Esau it would not fit Esau and Esau now more than ever And he said, Your brother has come with deceit and taken your blessing away your blessing. He saw it was Yaakov. And in spite of understanding what had happened and the real depth of what had happened, he still says he came with deceit because on the surface that is what happened. And he said, Does he call himself Yaakov because he has already gone behind my back twice? 
He has taken away my birthright, and now he has taken away my blessing as well. So he confesses here. He sold his birthright. So Yitzhak can can very, very justifiably say, you took away your birthright? And how did that happen? You want to tell me about that? So he sees that more has gone on here than Esau had been forthcoming with. We can be sure Esau never told Yitzhak this before, right now. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? But like I said, he had only reserved the blessing for Yaakov. And it was not applicable to Esau. And Yitzhak replied and said to Esau, See, I have made him a master over you and all his brothers. I have given to him as servants and I have sustained him with corn and new wine. And as for you, what shall I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Is this then the only blessing you have? Bless me too, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And his father Yitzhak answered him and said, And notice the blessing he gives him. He's very careful with the words now because he sees. He still loves him, but now he really sees Esau. Lo, the fat places of the earth will be your dwelling place, and of the dew of heaven from above you will live upon your sword, and you will serve your brother. Only when you are humble, when you humble yourself, will you loosen his yoke from your neck. So we see a difference between these two blessings, and the most obvious one is this blessing he gives to Asaph does not invoke the name of Hashem at all. It is just a blessing that he gives him from himself. A blessing like a wish. Wishing you well. A blessing that is for this world and not the world to come. Because he sees that Esau is of this world. And Esau hated Yaakov because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, Let the days of mourning for my father draw near, and then I will kill my brother Yaakov. He was wishing death upon his father that he loved so much. So he could kill his brother Yaakov. And the words of her eldest son were told to Rivka, and she sent and had her younger son Yaakov called and said to him, Look, your brother Esau comforts himself to kill you. And now, my son, hearken to my voice and arise and flee to my brother Levan in Haran. You shall stay with him for some time until the heat of your brother's wrath has subsided, until your brother's anger has turned away from you and he has forgotten what you did to him. Then I will send and have you fetched from there. For why should I be bereft of both of you in one day? So she sees the truth. She's told the truth. She knows Esau is oh very, very capable of doing this. And Rivka said to Yitzhak, I am sick of my life because of the daughters of Het. If Yaakov takes a wife from among the daughters of Het like these, from the daughters of the land, of what use is life to me? 
So she does not say to Yitzhak, well, because of what happened, Esau is going to kill Yaakov, and I'm afraid for him. She doesn't say this. Even though she sees it, and she warns Yaakov very clearly, she does not say this to Yitzhak, who loves Esau. She doesn't say that, and some people could see this as being another deception. But it's really not. It's the voice of a mother who still loves both of her sons. It's the voice of a mother who does not want to cast her son in the same light as Cain, who killed his brother. And she wants to prevent that. Not just for Yaakov's sake, but also for Esau's sake. She cares for his soul as well. And so she says to Yitzhak that she's sick of her life because of the daughters of Het. These daughters of Het who have brought idolatry into my home. Who have brought this abomination into my home. And she does not want to see Yaakov make this mistake. And Yitzhak agrees. And Yitzhak understands too the danger. He understands it. He just doesn't verbalize it. Yitzhak is a very interesting person. He's a very mild person that you don't really get a clear picture of. There's a lot of depth to him that we don't really see in the written Torah especially. And Yitzhak called Yaakov and blessed him and commanded him and said, You shall not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan Arise, go to Paran Aram, to the house of Betuel, the father of your mother, and take yourself from there, a wife of the daughters of Levan, your mother's brother. Now, the next thing that he's going to say, he's fully conscious of who he's talking to. And this is where we really know that he all along understood. He understood. And when he did see the deception that was played on him he understood more deeply that it could only be Yaakov he never meant to exclude Yaakov but now he understands that Yaakov is the one truly that alone has to carry forward the blessing of Abraham in the world so fully understanding who he's talking to he reiterates the blessing. And God, the all-sufficing, will bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you will be a gathering of nations. He will give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your seed with you at that you may inherit the land of your alienhood which God gave to Abraham. Now, we notice something here. Abraham was told that his children would be strangers in a land not theirs. And this begins with Yitzhak as he goes through this whole drama with the Philistines. And even as he's blessing now, he's blessing Yaakov, we see the covenant of Abraham, the covenant of Yitzhak, and the covenant of Yaakov that each one is a different faith, like a whole new covenant of its own, 
a different phase of the covenant. And here he is talking about the alienhood of Yaakov. So Yitzhak sent away Yaakov and he went to Padan Aram to Levan, the son of Betuel the Aramite, the brother of Rivka, the mother of Yaakov and Asaph. You see here, the mother not just of Yaakov, but the mother of Yaakov and Asaph. That she never did the things that she did because she hated him or she disliked him. She saw him for what he was, but she never stopped being the mother of Asaph as well as Yaakov. She saw things, she saw the truth, and but and she had compassion. But she was able to balance those two things, truth and compassion, and make her decisions from that. And when Esau saw that Yitzhak had blessed Yaakov and sent him to Paddan Aram to take a wife from them, that in blessing him he commanded him, You shall not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, and that Yaakov obeyed his father and his mother, notice this, and went to Paddan Aram. Then Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan were displeasing the eyes of his father Yitzhak. And Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalat, the daughter of Ishmael, the son of Abraham, the sister of Nebaot, in addition to his wives, as his wife. Did he divorce these idolatrous women? No, he did not. He just went and took a daughter of Ishmael, thinking this is going to make things better. And here is where we get that there was a a pact formed between Esau and Ishmael. And this also brings us to some interesting ideas about our own time. But I'm not going to go into that right now. The main thing I want us to end this with, and this is the end of the um, of the Parsha, is this thought that Esau, even though it says that our Hashem hated Esau, we have to understand that in the context of Torah, that he hated the deeds of Esau. But Esau was still, he was still the child of Isaac and Rivka. And he was going to be this driving force. And even though he is not given the blessing with Hashem's name on it and we have to understand this that this driving force these two driving forces in the world are one with a blessing with Hashem's name on it and the other with a blessing of this world without the name of Hashem on it and this is something else that's really really important for us to, to really connect with because these two driving forces are Israel and Rome make no mistake about it a dome is Rome and so when you look at this whole thing and you look at the blessing of Yitzhak on Esau it has to open our eyes to what we're looking at throughout history that one carries a blessing with Hashem's name and one carries a blessing without 
so that you have one that is going to be a blessing the one without is a blessing for this world it's very temporal and then the one that has Hashem's name is eternal so these two driving forces are the temporal and the eternal and that was what the prophecy of Shem meant when it said the greater the mightier will become subservient to the lesser and that is what the redemption will bring bring us to that the might of this world money and power and all of these things will become subservient to those things that are blessed by Hashem putting Hashem first okay does anybody have any questions I didn't stop through the whole thing to ask questions to see if you had questions does anyone have questions now Is Adam's garment hidden somewhere? That's a very good question. And I would imagine it probably is. But I really don't know where. The last time I think that we hear about it, it seems like... I think Yosef had it. Maybe. I'm not sure, though. Hmm but I would imagine that it is hidden someplace and we have a lot of ideas going on in this Parsha um, of coming to truth of balancing that with compassion of our relationship with other people being not just born out of what we think of as being um, being nice but being grounded in truth there are a lot of ideas through this partial like that <coughs> and there are a lot of ideas about relationships in family relationships with other people one thing that's very <coughs> very outstanding about Yitzhak is how in his relationship with the people around him he was always trying to keep peace he was always interested in coming to terms with them and keeping peace so does anybody have any thoughts on this
That's right. It does sound like Israel today. And sometimes those things are completely out of balance. And so what I'm thinking about as being a meditation for us today is basically we did the same thing, the same meditation last last week. But it's something that I think is so important and I don't think we really, you know, can do this too often because it would be wonderful if we could get it. But I want us to meditate on balance between compassion and truth. To find that balance, to find that middle ground where they come into balance. Compassion and truth. And the prayer would be to bring us to that place that is the heart of Hashem of the balance between mercy and truth. So let's um, do a minute, do this for five minutes. And I'm going to turn off the speaker. I mean, I'm going to turn off the microphone. Five minutes. Okay, does anybody have something you'd like to share with us? Israel needs to pray and defend itself. Yes, the thing is, is Israel is is ruled by non-religious government, and so they don't they don't pay attention to the lessons of the Torah, and that's a problem. We had people who were really the government was a, a righteous Torah government, and I would hope that the decision would be very, very different. I think that creating the balance between judgment and mercy will be an ongoing experience. Being aware of the need for balance is a beginning. That's right. Just seeing that is a beginning. And so that's why I thought it was worthwhile for us to do this this meditation again this week. Because five minutes isn't very long. But for us to be able to start seeing that and becoming aware of it and and telling ourselves to be more aware of it, that's a very good beginning. And we can never achieve it maybe totally well I won't say never but we will never do it unless we do begin and so seeing that is the first thing and you're right Israel wants to be like the other nations and this is out of balance this is totally out of balance because the nations of the world at this time are out of balance 
That's the, the whole point of Noahide nations is to try to, with God's help, to be a vessel of bringing the nations into balance and the only way to do that is by bringing them into the, the awareness, the consciousness of Hashem's will in the world. So, and that will bring a healing to all of the world, which will bring us to, obviously, world peace. There's no other solution, absolutely no other way to world peace that we talk about, people dream of, uh, you know, there have been so many plans and this, that, and the other thing, and they just fail, fail, fail. There is no way to world peace other than obeying the, the laws of God. And, um, I mean, he gave us the plan, he gave us the formula for it. And so, so and Israel, Israel trying to be like the other nations as they are right now is, is terrible. It's absolutely catastrophic. And so, until Israel can get itself together, I mean, the rest of the world really doesn't have much of a chance. It's really sad to think that way, but it's a truth. And this is one very, very good reason to pray. Pray for the peace of Israel. Pray for Israel to come back to the Torah in a real way. And that's the way to peace. So, when you're praying for the peace of Jerusalem, as we're told in the Psalms, you're praying for the people of Israel to come to that one thing that will bring peace in that Torah. So, I'm going to say goodnight now because I'm, you know, I'm really going to go to bed. And uh, I, I made it through a lot better than I thought it would. And it was a very, I really enjoyed um, sharing this with you. It was a very this is a very exciting Parsha and I came to new things this year that I'm glad I was able to share with you okay thank you thank you for joining me and thank you for making the class you also help me um, you make the class great for me as well Good night. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to go to bed and just take some uh, NyQuil and go to bed. So thank you very much, and I wish you all a uh, Shavuot, a good week.